Hi, Black Hollywood Live fans. Today we're talking shocking election results, and we've got a special guest, the executive director of the Citizens Oversight Commission for the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department is here in studio. Stay with us. You are tuned in to Black Hollywood Lives. Justice is served. All right, that was quite a mouthful, but hopefully I got that right. Hello, Justice fans. Thank you for joining us on this very shocking, sort of somber um, mood around here. Uh, Just one day after Election Day, my name is Chelsea Galicia. Thank you for joining us on Justice is Served. I am joined by my co-host and fellow attorney, Shaka Smith, and another fellow attorney, our guest today, Brian Williams. Thank you so much for being here. here. Before we get into election stuff, I do want to tell our viewers a little and listeners a little bit about Brian and why I asked him to be here. I was so excited to have him up here that I chased him across a large ballroom in a hotel downtown uh, Los Angeles last uh, week. I hope I didn't scare you too much. Just uh, a little bit. I guess, I guess I not enough to, to keep right. you away. Right. Um, I think the, the, the message you probably bring is more important than the crazy woman who brought you here. But you are a criminal defense attorney, a civil rights attorney. You've got experience in the city attorney's office. Um, You were deputy mayor uh, here in Los Angeles. Quite the resume. And I know I left out a million other things. Uh, CEO of Junior Achievement, which is the event that I was at where I met you. Um, And I know that you're probably most proud of your role as father and husband. There you go, exactly. and, And football fan. Raider, Raider and UCLA fan. Okay. And yeah. did I leave anything else out that that's everybody should know about who you are? I think that's it. Okay. I think that's it. And also just recently appointed to be the executive director of, I can't believe I got the title out the first time. Let me try this again. So it's the Citizens Oversight Commission that oversees the Sheriff's Department. Los Angeles County Los Sheriff's Angeles. Department. Okay. Correct. So not LAPD but Correct. the sheriff's department. All right, so we're going to table your credentials for the moment and just go like bleary-eyed Americans. We are right there with you. What yeah. has happened? Yeah. Um, I was here in this studio yesterday. We did a joint Black Hollywood Live co- uh, political culture and After Buzz TV Trump versus Hillary. We were here for like three hours and as shell-shocked as America. When we left, we didn't know for sure, but the map was turning redder and redder. By the moment, and then in the car on the way when Pennsylvania went, and it was just over, and that's how I how I knew. And uh, I'm just I, I don't I guess shocked is the right word, but as the Bernie supporter, I can't say I was totally blown away by oh, how this I went down. I was totally blown away. <laughs> I don't see how you could not be just totally blown away. Well, because away. I knew <laughs> that there were a lot of people who did not like. Hillary, who had seen the problem of this systemic corruption in our politics, who saw that Hillary wasn't going to be the champion of fixing this. I I just felt like collectively we'd gotten over a hump. Donald Trump wasn't just uh, a candidate who spoke on issues that were Republican issues and you know, he didn't juxtapose it. There was racism. There was misogyny. And I thought we'd gotten over a hump in this country where we said we wholesale wholesale reject those those notions. So that's why I was just completely blown away. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I don't know. Because it was so close. And, mind you, Hillary Clinton won the popular vote. Yeah. Uh, no solace Not at all. Not by much. <laughs> no solace at all. But this, it, it seemed to be more of a we don't want Hillary than we do want Trump. It wasn't like a, you know, a referendum, I, and the, the, 
you know, Trump is supposed to but the you know, be the dictator still, yeah. that he ran as. The result is he's still uh, going to be the president. And sure. I, and I thought that people made those connections. I thought people said, you know what? If I don't vote for Hillary, it, Trump just may win. And that's enough that I'm going to have to vote for her regardless of how I feel about it. And it was a little hard for us because here in California, you know, Hillary won. And so our Facebook feeds were more full of Hillary people than, than Trump people. So maybe we here on the West Coast are a little bit more shocked than the rest of the country. Uh, and I, I think you the think? polls bore I, out. Uh, I think the world is shocked. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, know, I know the, the, the world da- was the like da- shaking da- their heads at us right. that he even got as close as he did. Right. At what point the Dow fell larger than it had during the Great Recession? 700 you know? points. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, how would you? How were you last night as you saw this going down? You know, I just, I went to bed early. I, uh, I saw it coming early on, and, uh, you know, it's no secret I was not a Trump supporter. But on the flip side, you know, I got up this morning at uh, 5.25 a.m., and I went out for my morning run, and the sun rose. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, life goes on. We've, we've been here before. Life will go on. We have been here before. I don't know quite well, here, but... Well, know, I'm older than both of you, so I, oh, I've, yeah, been, you. I, I've been there. Trust <laughs> me. This is a quite a, a shock right. for me. Right. So the, another question that would come up of immediate consequence to us on justice is served are what are the potential legal ramifications? Yeah. What's going to happen to our Justice Department? Yeah. And, you know, the first concern that I have is that either Rudy Giuliani or Chris Christie will be named attorney general. Yeah, and we, we know that we just had the, um, was it, Proposition, what, 64 passed for marijuana legalization. That will but, be the only good news but, but it, that we it? have. Because we know that a lot of that has depended on the federal government saying, you know what, we're not going to really prosecute these these cases. Right. So right. Well, but, okay, so let's get... If we want to go to the marijuana, let's go there now, because there were five states that were looking to pass recreational, and it passed in California, woohoo, Massachusetts, and Nevada. Arizona did not pass it, and Maine, um, the last time I checked, it looked like it was a yes, um, but it was like really close. Some people had called it as a yes, but it wasn't official yet, so it looks like four out of the five states who had it up for recreational passed it. Uh, There was other states for medical marijuana that was on their ballots. It passed in Arkansas. I was shocked by that. Florida, shocked again. Montana and North Dakota, all kind of surprising to me because they all went red last night, but they voted for medical marijuana. And now the point that you bring up is, well, we don't know how great of a victory this is if the federal government can swoop in and shut this down. Yeah, it's going to have a chilling effect. Do you have any guesses on how? You know, it's probably the reason why I'm sitting over here and you guys are sitting over there because I didn't vote for it. (laughs) Um, And and the reason that I didn't vote for it are are multifold. Number one, I think it has a disparate impact on the African American and other communities of color. What does? the, the ability to purchase and, and, to, and to sell this, this marijuana here in California. I think uh, that there have been so many young men that I've prosecuted in, in my prosecutorial career that I've placed in jail because they had an ounce or two or three ounces or perhaps more of marijuana in their pocket, and now all of a sudden, when it became the cause celebre, it's legal now. And I think there's a bit of unfairness there. And then my, my final issue yeah. is, is big business. You know, that they're going to come in and there are some small farmers and, and other folks throughout our state who are going to lose their business, essentially, because big business is going to come in and, and take that over. So. Well, or, I mean, we're seeing, like, as big business is taking over in general, some of these, some smaller ones who do better 
quality, who do better customer service, who do something that differentiates themselves from the mass market can be competitive. And, and I, I think they're able to be competitive now because it is illegal federally. So big business doesn't want to jump into it quite yet until it's legal on a federal level. Yeah. But I think you're going to see a complete chilling of it altogether now because I, I do think they'll order um, whoever the attorney general is to start prosecuting these marijuana cases. I don't know, maybe. But I was really interested in, in the other point that you had is that it seems unfair that there are people in prison now for something that is legal today. And I think it is unfair, and I think that it would be worse to keep that going and put more people in prison. Uh, now, if people can stop going there and we can get those people, the nonviolent drug offenders, out of prison, I'm all for that. Would that be a fair, you know, resolution yeah, I mean, this, to this? This, to me, this is the first step of a, of a much larger scheme that ultimately will end up, I think, in big business yeah. taking this entire thing over. But that equity issue just really does bother me. And then the the first issue that I mentioned, and that is the disparate impact this has on communities of color and poorer communities. How do you mean? Well, it's it's sort of it's almost the same argument that we used several years ago with the lottery, right? There was that fear that folks in in poorer communities would try and strike it rich and use that those small funds that they had to buy lotto tickets, right? And, of course, a few people win, but a lot of people lose. Here, even though the legal limit will be 21, do you really think it's going to be 21-year-olds who, who are buying it and who are selling it? No, yes. well, it's going well, to be... It'll trickle down. But from what I've seen in California, it's already trickled down. I, I agree. And so, so for me, that's not really a fear. I'm shocked well, by it. But in, co- in Colorado, but, when it was legalized recreationally, the teenage use did not go up. So is that a speculation on your part that well, it's going to go up? I know. I think it won't go up here because we've had the medical marijuana, which I think already did trickle down because I think we know that the medical marijuana guidelines aren't as stringent as you would want them to right, be. Right. So it's almost been like it's been recreational here for a while. So I think on that point, I think we'll be okay. I'm just glad that we're not going to be incarcerating more people. I think that's yeah, that's, that, I, I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, that's, and, and the question becomes, how do you enforce it? And yeah. who's, who's going to be the enforcees? Yeah. Right. That's that will be that will be something quite to see. But I'm I'm glad that we're on the same page about um, that we want to end incarceration Absolutely. over marijuana. Absolutely. And I think you'll see Barack Obama try to do as much for low level drug offenses, nonviolent, that he can to let people out of jail. I think he'll do his best because he's already been going at a you know a right. crazy clip right now. So. California also passed 57, which allows nonviolent offenders to be up for uh, parole. Um, so that may contribute to that, at least in California. Uh, any idea about our... So, so now that we passed, or this many states have passed marijuana laws, we've gone from 5% of the population having access to legal marijuana to 21%. So that's a big uh, number of people. And the other benefit, I think, of this that studies have now conclusively shown is that in states with medical marijuana available, the prescriptions for painkillers, depressive medications, anti-anxiety, many prescriptions have gone down, which makes the price of health care in one respect go down. Does anybody I, I, see a consolation prize? In so ironically, marijuana yeah, is solving the war before. on drugs, right? <laughs> you had not heard that before? I had not heard that before, yeah. 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 So I, I, I like that. And also we are um, seeing how, and even Trump talked about this, that a lot of America is ravaged by heroin use. And we know that a lot of people have turned to heroin because they got pain medication. Yeah. Yeah. And then when they got too expensive, 
they turned to heroin, and then we've had you know thirty some odd thousand people die of uh, overdoses in the in the last couple not per year in the last couple of years. That's like the same as as car accidents. And so, if people have an alternative pain killer method of medical marijuana, then hopefully fewer people will need the hardcore opiates. Will then turn to uh, heroin, and we can make a dent in this terrible epidemic. Yeah. And I'm thinking, oh, are you not time so will sure? Tell. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, it's time, time. And tell. and and I think that federally, it is going to be difficult. And and President Obama said this on Bill Maher last week. Was it last week? I don't even know what the days of the week. I can't sleep. I can't. I don't know what's yeah. going on. But he said it's going to be very difficult. We we now have more states at least 25 states that have it legal in some form. It won't be difficult, though. The federal, and yeah. for the federal government to kind of straddle and where, where to enforce federal law, where to leave it alone. And here's the thing. Trump has at least once, and I know it's very difficult to know what he's going to do because he's said multiple things on this, he has said on some part of this marijuana issue that it is a state's issue. Well, yeah, but I mean, the government straddled for years, um, I'd say before the Obama administration, prosecuting some, not prosecuting others. And so I think you will see a full, that, that come into play fully, and it's just going to have a chilling effect on the industry. And so these things are passing, but will, like, what um, kind of, what will they have, or what effect will they have? I don't think there will be much, given the fact that I think the federal government will start to prosecute these guys. I don't know. I'm still hanging my hat on that they won't, that they will be focused on. See. Other things. I mean, some of the well, other things I don't like. Like, are they going to round up every yeah. Mexican, Mexican-looking person? Right. Well, you know, if I don't show right. up one day, yeah. that might be why. Yeah. <laughs> well, what we did um, was surprising to me during um, you know the, the Trump win was private prison stocks went through the roof, and I know there was some sort of uh, thought to when they made this commission about the way the prison system is and the jail the jail system. Can you give me a little bit of uh, insight into how that motivated the beginning of this? this commission? Well, you know, as, as we were talking earlier off camera, I think this is sort of the manifestation of any number of things that have occurred in our communities. Number one, certainly there is a passion by our current Sheriff McDonald and our Board of Supervisors to improve our current uh, Sheriff's Department and our jail system. I think it's an acknowledgement that there have been issues in the past uh, with uh, communities of colors and color and other communities as well. I think there is an acknowledgement that this is time for something to occur in this area, and we have a grand opportunity, really. And I said this on the first day uh, that I was introduced in this position, to make a model agency. It's not going to be perfect, but we can make it a model agency for, for others to follow across the nation. So as I understand it, I mean, we have, and we've covered it on this show before, there was, I don't know what to call it, major corruption in uh, the, the sheriff's department went all the way up to Lee Baca, who is going to face, it looks like, some jail prison time himself. Um, for it, it had to do mostly with how people were being treated within the jails. And then when the FBI tried to investigate, an informant was, like, moved around and hidden so that it would obstruct the investigation. Um, Tanaka was indicted on. I mean, this was known kind of throughout the, the sheriff's department and really went all the way up to the top. And that is probably the larger motivating factor for the creation of this commission. I know a lot of people think it's probably because of all of the um, violence against, um, you know, blacks in, in Los Angeles. I mean, across the country, we, we every week on this 
show we cover a story. Uh, and I think most people think that that's what led to this. But really, it's the corruption in the jails that we have seen. Although the commission will help address concerns th- both in the corruption in the jails and the treatment of not just blacks but Latinos. And, you know, if there are people with white people with grievances, I'm sure you'll listen to theirs as well. Sure, sure, everyone. I mean, really, it's under the whole panoply of making it a better organization and strengthening the ties between law enforcement and the community. There's no doubt there are areas of improvement. I mean, the the Sheriff's Department is staffed by humans, and none of us are perfect except for me. Right, of course. (laughs) Have you seen any other commissions around the country that you think you want to model this one after? Yeah, you know, there's no cookie-cutter approach here. L.A. is such a different community than New York or Chicago or Atlanta, uh, both in terms of our diversity, in terms of the size of our force, in terms of the size of our jail system. We run the largest jail system in the nation and probably the largest mental health provider in the nation as well in in a jail system. So those are issues that a lot of other communities don't have. I have had a chance to take a look at what they're doing in San Diego, what they did in Berkeley, what they're doing in Atlanta, what they do in, in New York. And I'm trying to take those best practices and bring those here, but there isn't going to be a cookie-cutter approach. And that's the good and scary thing about what we're doing now. It's yeah. the very beginning of this process. We're starting from scratch. And I think we have the ability to build something really, really nice here and, again, make our organization and our community and our law enforcement sort of the model of what the rest of the nation ought to look like. That uh, would be ideal. Yeah. yeah, I think, well, the biggest concern is what can you guys do? What kind sure. of teeth does the commission have? Sure. And I don't know if you've observed from the other commissions that are around, that it, what, what kind of teeth do they have? Will you guys be able to kind well, of implement here? I, I think it starts with the commissioners, and I know you want to get into that, but <laughs> we have some pretty solid commissioners on this commission, folks who uh, have, have well-reasoned opinions and aren't afraid to give those opinions, and they come to the commission uh, with, with quite a background. So to the extent that we have a tremendous bully pulpit, to the extent that we have the support of the Board of Supervisors, I think we can make, make a difference. I think we can make a very solid and a very plausible and a very substantive difference in the way policing occurs in our, in our community. We're not starting from ground zero with a police department or a sheriff's department that is rife with corruption. We're starting out of the point where we have a great sheriff in Sheriff McDonald. We have an organization that wants to get better, and we're all in, in sync at this point. There are going to be issues in the future, um, and we'll have to figure out how we're going to address those issues. But at this point, we're all moving in the same direction. And then, oh, sorry, just quickly, at a minimum, you guys will be doing annual reports, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Will, it, will, will those be public? Oh, absolutely. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. One of the biggest criticisms of the commission is that nobody from the Black Lives Matter movement was selected to be on it. What response do you have to that criticism? Well, I, I think you ought to concentrate on who's on the commission and who isn't on the rather than who isn't on the commission. Uh, Five of the commissioners were appointed by the Board of Supervisors, and then there were nominations for the commission uh, from various organizations uh, throughout the community, community-based organization, the DA's office, several other organizations. And so people who were recommended by uh, Black Lives Matters and some of the other organizations are, in fact, reflected on the, on the commission. The thing that I want everyone to know is that every voice is going to be heard. Every voice is important here, and whether you're represented on the commission or not, uh, as long as I'm executive director, your voice is going to get heard. All right. What uh, what kind of outreach is there to the community? Because a lot of times these like board meetings get printed in these papers that no one reads. And what kind of engagement will there be to kind well, of? Well, we're going to come here that? first yeah. to uh, to advertise it. Right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> good start. Good start. Glad to have you. That's something we're going to have to work out. I, you know, it's uh, to me it, it is so important to have community input here because. 
for us to have an effective police agency, there has to be community involvement because the cops can't do it all themselves, neither can the community. So there has to be that interaction between the two. So there are certain legal requirements which require us to post, of course, an, an agenda, and we'll advertise it as best as we can. But it's my hope in the future that we will have these meetings just not in one central location, but we'll do some community meetings, just as the working group did who put this commission together. They met throughout uh, the entire county. I think we have to do the, the exact same thing. I think it's incumbent upon me and the commissioners as well to, uh, when we have a community group that says, hey, can you come talk to us about what's going on, to be available to come out and talk and have real, honest, transparent, substantive conversations about what's going on, what we can and what we can't do, and invite those voices back to the commission meeting. So speaking of transparency, another a big issue is the transparency between you know what law enforcement investigates and the incidents of... Uh, police brutality. We see it a lot in the withholding of uh, body cams or whatever video evidence that there is that a law enforcement person acted inappropriately. Where do you stand on the release of video footage? Well, let me, let me take a step back and talk about the need for transparency. That is absolute paramount. Okay, we have to have a transparent organization. If people don't believe that your local law enforcement agency is legit, that they're hiding the ball, uh, that they're constantly doing wrong. Where they're, they're, they're not going to have respect for that agency. It's going to uh, increase tensions between the community and that agency, and everything begins to fall apart. So it all starts with integrity and transparency, and uh, that's something that I've preached my entire career, and, I, and it's something that I, that I know that all the commissioners are interested in and believe in, as well as the sheriff and, and the majority of his deputies. So let's, let's start, start with that. It's a tough job being a law enforcement official, but they're human, and things go wrong. And it's incumbent upon the Sheriff's Department and this commission and others, the community as well, to call it out when things go wrong and to make this process as transparent and as exhaustive as possible. Now, what, what policies have you seen from other commissions that display the kind of transparency that you're talking about? That's something I'm still researching, right? I, I can only tell you it's stuff that I've worked on in the past. Uh, we've made it as transparent as possible. But I also want to point out that when there is an investigation that's occurring, you can't always give all the information out to the public, right? It affects uh, witness testimony. It affects the investigation. So we have to have a belief, in, in our, and in my opinion, a very deep and abiding belief that the investigation is going to be uh, full of integrity, that it's going to be transparent, and that we're going to get really the true story as to what occurred. Do you think if the video, sorry, do you think if a video is withheld from the public that you as a commission can still demand to see it and that they will actually give it to you so that you can see it? I, I think that we have the voices on the commission to demand uh, whatever, whatever evidence we need to make whatever decisions we have to make, whether that might be a video or something else. But again, that has to be balanced with the police officer's bill of rights. It has to be balanced with the investigation. Well, let's, well, well. let's flesh this out. What, how would it violate any of the police officer's rights uh, or impede an investigation if the commission was allowed to see a video that was being withheld from the public? Well, I think you have to go back and find the reasons why it's being withheld. So, I mean, this, this is hypothetical at this point. So, Yeah. yeah. So, it, I, I don't know. That's some. I mean, they say that you can't uh, draw conclusions from just, you know, a 10-second clip. You don't know what happened before or after, um, and that the public will just let its imagination get away with itself because we only see such a small thing. But, but I would argue that sometimes if you don't release that video, the public allows the imagination to, to go. go. Further, That's yeah. where so, I fall personally, but the, okay. the, what I'm saying is sort of the, the argument that I've heard for not releasing it. I couldn't understand a reason that it would make sense for them to withhold it from the commission. 
Well, will the commission? Do, is there like an oath for the commission? Do you like? Are you deputized in any way, or you know? Well, we haven't had our first meeting yet. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't even started the job yet. I don't start yeah. until uh, December sixth. Okay. I, I finished my current uh, gig on the twenty eighth of November, so I got a, at least a week respite to <laughs> address my feelings of last night. So um, uh, we're, we're sort of talking in the hypothetical right now of this video of this particular thing that that occurred, and we're not talking specifically about a specific instance. So I would say let's just let's just slow down. Let's take a look at uh, where we are, and we have to take it by a case by case basis. I do know that the LAPD commission they just developed a policy on on videos and when they're going to release those videos. That's certainly something that we'll take a look at. Uh, but it's going to have to be an iterative process. We're going to learn as we go along and figure out what's best for our organization and our community. What can we do on the preventive fr- preventative front from going down the road where we have a situation where we have all these outrageous cases of police brutality. Is there something that you imagine or that you have seen that works in, I don't know, training, in recruiting standards? What can we do to prevent a lot of the violence and deaths that we've seen? So if we were in court, I would object to your question. (laughs) argumentative because you said all these are outrageous things. Certainly there are outrageous things that happen in communities. I'm speaking for the viewers who I I know are outraged. I understand. Um, And I've been outraged. But certainly there are things that have occurred across our nation, right? which involves police force. Uh, but there are lots of things that, are, that have occurred that were not outrageous. So our job... Well, the commission wasn't created to p- pat the sheriff's department on the back. That's right. You're absolutely okay. right. So I was going to say, so our job is to be able to discern between what is right and what is wrong with the information that's presented before us, right? Sometimes we're going to have to push the sheriff. There's no doubt about that, to release information to us or to change a policy. Sometimes we're going to have to say, you know what? You were right. You, you did the right thing. So in, in this process, as we go forward, the main thing that would allow us to do that is knowing that our commission has integrity, is knowing that the sheriffs are approaching this in a, in a righteous and uh, transparent way, to know that the community can come to us and know that we aren't going to BS with them, that we're going to give them a straight shot. It's, it's all part of this equation to make what I hope will be a, a model situation. And since, since, sorry, since there's not a person from the Black Lives Matter movement on the commission, do do you or do you know somebody else on the commission who is willing to go out and be at their meetings to see what their perspective is because they got left off of this commission, whether it was because there was just no room and there was other really great uh, candidates, but you understand at least the disappointment that they don't really have a voice. And so I would think that a great consolation prize would be for you or for one of them to say, I am you know, going to be an ambassador specifically between your group and this commission, and I'm going to make it my mission to be at meetings every so often or, or something I, of that I, I nature. Think the, I think the evidence of that is how did I get here today? Okay, well, great question. How did you right. get how here today? How did I get here today? This crazy woman came to me during this, uh, <laughs> this event me. and said, will you come? And I said, yeah, of course, of course I'll do that. And that, you know, un- under my direction, uh, my staff and, and prayerfully the commissioners themselves will have that same attitude. Like I said at the top of this interview, I think it is critically important that every voice is heard and that we are ambassadors for this commission so that if there is a public meeting somewhere where there's a meeting and folks have concerns, give us a call. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll be there. That's our job. That's what we have to do. Listen, if the community is not involved and engaged in this, in this whole equation, if they don't believe that this commission can and will do 
uh, what we say we're going to do. Well, this is just all a game then, and I'm not all about playing yeah. games. And, and, yeah, that was a concern of mine. So uh, you guys can go into the jails and meet with some of these people and to, to really get a sense of what's going on in the system as well? Absolutely, absolutely. Will you spend the night there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, voluntarily? Or yeah. That's the question. You want to know about my background? <laughs> So uh, there, there has to be a training aspect to this, yeah. right? So there, there has to be a visit, and not just a visit, but multiple visits. Unannounced. Over town. In over, civilian over, clothing. Over. <laughs> when they well, don't know who you are. Well, we want to make sure we're able to get out. Okay? <laughs> so uh, there, there has to be a visit to, to, to the jail system. Uh, there has to be a training aspect. We will see what, how the sheriffs are trained. We'll put our commissioners through you know, a miniaturized version of, of that training, training itself. Because they have to look at it from the deputy's perspective as well as the community's perspective. And so yeah. the best way to know that is to go through that experience. Because, yeah, I know, I know you've had experience dealing with criminal defendants in jails, but not uh, everyone on the commission has had that sort of background, right? It's a kind of a varied background. It is, it, is, it is a varied background, so that's why I'm saying the training yeah. component is so important here to make sure we're operating from the same same basis of fact. Yeah, that's one of the things I liked about it was I think we had the president of the Baptist Ministers Conference on there. Right. Um, we have a rabbi on there. Right. So I, I do like the diversity. And because there was some criticism that, you know, there weren't as many Hispanics or even Asian. How is the commission going to address um, that lack of just, you know, diversity? Well, you know, okay, well, I, I think two things. Number one, we can't assume that just because a person of a particular background is not sitting on the commission that that voice is not heard or their concerns are not heard, or even that the person who's sitting on the commission cannot express those concerns. Yeah. They may not have the personal you know, history, but they can still express the concerns, so let's remember that. Yeah. Number two, as I said before, over and over and over again, every voice is important and every voice will be heard. That I can absolutely guarantee. If nothing else happens, you're going to have a forum to voice your opinion. And do you personally, going into this, have any ideas of reforms or policies that you would like to introduce or, or push? You know, I think I think I need to study the sheriff's department first uh, to to get a good working knowledge of what works and what doesn't work. I'm no expert, right? I'm trying to become an expert. There are experts out there that we can that we can. Uh, consult with, so I need to take a step back. And if really there are just experts learn. who would like to talk to you, how can they reach out to you? Because they may want to be like, "Hey, this is a good person to uh, have a conversation goodness, with." Goodness, call the call 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 our, our commission offices, which we don't quite have yet. We yeah. don't have until December six, well, so you have to invite me back so I can give you that information. Yeah, Absolutely, that's, a, that's we'll another question. Okay. Will you guys be present on social media, Twitter, a way for people to just reach out to you? That's that's going to be my intent okay. is for us to to use an entire social media platform it, right. to get kind of personal. Have you ever had an experience? with law enforcement that you thought was racially motivated. Oh, absolutely. Mind telling us? Absolutely. So that which, people which one do you want to hear about? <laughs> how, how many have, they, have there been? You know what? Uh, there, there, have been a, there have been a couple. I've had both good experiences and bad experiences, and it just depends on the officer that, that you're with. But one that particularly sticks in my mind and just like totally just, can I say pissed off on yeah, Absolutely. Totally, I, was, I was a student at UCLA. I will never forget this. Uh, it, was, it was during the height of just sort of, sort of the gang wars and the whole bit, and and uh, you know the the police department was trying to protect Westwood, if you would, to make sure nothing <laughs> nothing happened there. And I was walking from my atmospheric sciences three class. I will never forget that in Bolter Hall, to Westwood to uh, Stan's Donut Shop, and I'm literally just walking across the street, right? And these two officers uh, are behind me walking. I didn't notice them at first, and they said, "Hey, boy, come here." Oh no. And yeah, and I, I, I honestly didn't think they were talking to me, so I just kept walking. And they catch up to me, and the, and the one officer grabs my arm and says, "Did you not hear me talking to you? Are you deaf?" And I looked at him like, "I didn't know you were talking to me." He <laughs> says, "Well, you were jaywalking." I said, "Sir, the light was green when I stepped across the street. There must be a problem with the light." He says, "Well, I didn't see it that way. Who do you think you're going to believe, me or you?" <laughs> wow. 
And so I fought that case. And was yeah. it, I don't love asking this question, but were these white officers? You know, um, one was white, one was Latino. Mm. You know, so uh, it, it, all I saw really was just that badge and then red after that. I was just so just through because it just, you know, here I am, you know, I'm a big wig at UCLA. I'm this, you know, I'm doing well in school. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. And it all just came crumbling down in, the, in that 15-second interaction. And I think it's not about the race. I think it's about that shield. I think yeah. that, that's, that's been the problem is, you know, that institutional systemic thing, you know, yeah. amongst that de- amongst so department. What, so they just were harassing you or they really wrote you a jaywalking ticket? They wrote me a jaywalking ticket. They asked me if I were a member of a gang. What was I doing in the area? I showed them my UCLA ID. Mm-hmm. They said, well, how did you get into UCLA? Are you a wow. you know, The default question is always, are you an athlete? Yeah. Right. Oh man. Uh, and it just—I mean, it, I was—I was crushed. I was literally just crushed by this whole thing. And uh, you know, I fought the ticket. I went to court. I filed a complaint. I didn't find out, of course, what happened with the complaint because that's—that's that's the law. I—I uh, I beat the ticket, and I just—I never forgot that. And, and I'll tell you just a little bit about myself. You know, I was a prosecutor for many years, and the reason that I became a prosecutor. Uh, was not because I wanted to put people in jail. It was because I wanted to make sure there was equity in the system. Because yeah. it's the prosecutor who has the most power in the courtroom. And I always made sure in every case I handled that there was equity in the system. And it's the same attitude I take with this job. And, and that's the problem. I don't hear that from enough prosecutors about that being the reason. They, they seem to be very more concerned about the percentages of convictions and you know things of that nature. Yeah. And assuming that they're doing justice because they're getting convictions rather than going for the justice and seeing where things end up. Right. Any experiences where you've been uh, um, physically harmed from interactions with no. law enforcement? No. Have you? Fi- well, I've heard. I've had friends thrown up against. Oh yeah, the hoods. I've been thrown up against the wall. Yeah. I've, you didn't think that that counted well, as a as a physical well, you're, interaction? You're from Miami, asked, yeah. So, it's so okay. that that yeah. uh, for me, if I'm not beat down, I'm like, oh no, you know. But that that's it, it's a sad part of reality that I'm yeah. now I'm thinking of as I say it that I have viewed it that way. But yeah, I've been slammed up against walls by police officers and obviously stopped for no reason. And then I've had police officers be kind after they stopped me for no reason, but for my race. Oh, you're an attorney. Oh, okay. I, I'm so sorry, sir. You have a great day. And I never understood that because they seem like kind people, but there's something in the department that makes them stop you simply because of your race. Or, I mean, if you look Not at the country now, you them, look, yeah. everybody looks nice, but maybe is there an underlying racism? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think we, we saw that a little bit in the 13th documentary that we oh, covered. Yes. So, yeah. I, you saw that? I did. I did. Yeah. So, I hope everybody has seen our special now on Ava DuVernay's movie 13th. Goes through chronologically the, the history of the, um, the ban on slavery and then the move to mass incarceration. Right. Did anything in that documentary particularly stick out to you that you the, didn't the, already know? Uh, the entire thing. I mean, it's, really? it's, it's history that, I, that I'd read before. You know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big book reader, so I've read a lot about that. So it was, it was good to finally be able to see it encapsulated in a movie. Uh, but there was nothing in there that really shocked me. Yeah, but it, con- it connected dots, I thought, in, in ways that I had not connected the dots. When you talk about the birth of a nation and the way they were characterizing um, black people, that characterization is probably the reason they see you walking down a street and assume you're part of a gang. Yeah. And so that, to me, the extrapolation from in the very beginning is what's so powerful, and I think that's what we need to start addressing, is the roots of the, the way we look at each what other. What did you think of the role of corporations acting through ALEC that in affect the laws, the private prisons, what happens with guns. Uh, and how did you re- react to that when you I, You know, I, I wasn't shocked that? by that. 
um, it's it's certainly a, a fact of life, and I just simply wasn't shocked by it. That's why I think it is incumbent upon people who, especially those in the criminal justice system, um, that there has to be integrity, that there has to be transparency, and that you have to do the job for the right reasons, right? When you take when, when you have a simple case where you are taking a person out of the home, a, a father out of the home, and all of a sudden. Uh, because you want to be a, a hard prosecutor, you're asking for 90 days in jail rather than than five days or 10 days of Caltrans. When you put that person in jail for 90 days, they've lost their job, mm-hmm. and so now all of a sudden the family can't afford the rent and the kids can't go to school. So think about the societal cost of that. Yeah, it's huge. Absolutely. It's huge. And if that happens over and over and over and over and over again, you see where we are. Yeah. So do you, deal do you personally ha- have a push against? Um, militarization of the police force? I mean, I know you're going to oversee the sheriffs, but do you have a personal um, opinion on militarization of the police force? You know, they, they, the government hands down all the, uh, the big sort of war equipment right. down to our police departments, right. Right. and then, then it creates this more adversarial attitude between police officers and the civilians, and it's just sort of causing this to get more divided amongst law enforcement and ordinary citizens. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's clearly an issue. I know uh, after uh, Ferguson that the federal government decided they made a decision not to send so much military equipment to local police agencies. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a, there's a balance that you have, have to reach. Uh, when we had the shooting out in San Bernardino, right, or the shooter at UCLA or the shooter at, oh my goodness, I think school after school, mm-hmm. Santa Monica City College, um, you, you're happy for the lives of the officers and the lives of <clears throat> the civilians who were attacked that they had some sort of bear cat machine. But you can't take a bear sh- a bear cat to uh, a taste of soul on Crenshaw, yeah. right? So, so yeah. there there has to be some balance there. Um, you want the officers to be protected, but that image is is woefully important. Yeah. And do you guys well. get any input on um, budgetary concerns? Well, the Board of Supervisors controls the budget of, of the Sheriff's Department, and uh, our commission will have an opportunity to opine upon what that budget ought to look like okay. based upon some of the decisions that, that we make. I think that's where a, a lot of stuff in terms of jail and the mistreatment of prisoners um, right, goes awry. If there's budget cuts, then yeah. that leaves the door open to private prison companies coming to take over what the government, the sheriff's department would do. And I think that's what we've seen in other states in this country, which is how we've had this proliferation of private prisons. Um, The federal government, that's another interesting consequence of the election, is that we're all wondering now what's going to happen to the federal um, guideline, the commitment to roll back the private prison use. Completely Because that that came only from the Department of Justice. That wasn't a a law that was passed. And I guess even if it was a law, it could be undone. so I hope that that it stays on track. But the private prison um, investors probably think otherwise because their stock went way up. Yeah, but, you know, I'm choosing to be optimistic. You know, we have this oversight commission, and it's going to exist regardless of Trump is president or not, you know. So, and these commissions can be duplicated, and they can right. go to different cities. And right. so the fact that we can still do stuff on the ground to, you know, promote justice, yeah. I, I think is a very positive thing. So we're, we're, we're asking a lot of, like, hard questions about what the sheriff's department and law enforcement can be doing to make the situation better. Uh, are you also going to be making recommendations to the community about what the community should be doing? I think, I think you know, it's, uh, it, it is an interactive process. You know, God forbid I sit there in, in that chair or the commissioner sit there in the chair and say, community, you need to do A, B, C, D, and E to make things better. 
right, when you don't know those, those, those communities. It has to be an exchange of information. It has to be, a, a, you know, an exchange of ideas and thoughts. Uh, that's what happens in the marketplace of ideas, and that's what this is. Yeah. All right. Well, any last hopes um, that you that you have as you take on this job and before we have you back next time while you're already? <laughs> well, I'd love to come back, number yeah. one. Okay, right. great. Uh, I want to mention that the Raiders are going to the Super Bowl. Oh. Let's, let's, let's talk about that. No, but, you know, this, this is really um, just an exciting time, I think, for our community. Uh, we, have a, we have a great sheriff. We have a solid sheriff's department that can get better. Yeah. Uh, we have community interest, and uh, as long as we are honest with one another and we're able to have honest dialogue, uh, as long as we're able to shine a light on those things that, are, that need to have a light shown upon it, yeah. as long as we're able to agree, uh, at least on the fundamental things as to which direction we got to go, when then we really are going to be the model for the nation and we're going to move this nation. I would love that. And will you respond to respectful tweets that are directed your way? I will. Okay, great. So we do have his um, Twitter up there. Do you want to an- an- announce it for the listeners? I can't even. Is that? I can't see. I don't have my glasses on. Mm-hmm. So I can't see that do you want you what cool. your your Twitter handle is? Oh, it's bkwesq06. Got it. All right. And I think that will wrap it up. Yeah. Our shell shocked post election. <laughs> we'll be back next week with more fallout from the election and whatever is the latest in legal news, as we always do. Thank you for joining me, Chelsea Galicia and Shaka Smith. We'll join you. Hopefully you'll join us next time, and hopefully I'll get my words straight by next time. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Thank Thank you you so much for being here. From executives Kevin Undergaro, Dario Kristen, Tiana Hobson, and the entire BHL staff, we would like to thank you for supporting Black Hollywood Live the first online broadcast network dedicated to African-American entertainment. For questions and comments, contact us. Info at BlackHollywoodLive.com. Like us on Facebook, tweet us, or Instagram us at BHL Online. And I am the official voice of Black Hollywood Live. Scipio, Instagram me, at KingXOBay. Thanks for tuning in. The views expressed here are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of BHL or its owners or principals.